Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. All right. Welcome. Good morning to you all. It's good to see you. We are diving in to this last section, but we're doing something a little bit different today. This is ServeLink Sunday, and so you guys are going to have a chance a little bit later to decide where you want to invest your life this year and where you want to serve, and uh, hopefully you've got a little card that looks like this that was on your chair uh, as you came in, and you're going to need that a little bit later. It gives us an opportunity to be able to connect with you in a different way. Um, so as we do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. And most of the time, I'm going to skip around a whole lot today, but uh, if you want to open your Bibles, if you want to look there, Matthew chapter 8 is probably the best kind of home base place for you to sit and to soak for a little bit here. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are all we need. I thank you that you did not leave us to wallow in our, in our sin, but that you sent your only son to die for us, that we might have new life and eternal life. Thank you that when he left, he did not abandon us, but that he stands by our side and that he sent a helper, your spirit, to strengthen us, to help us understand the way of this world and understand the way that you desire for us to live in this world, that we might bear the fruit of the spirit and look more like Jesus over time. And we thank you that one day you will send Jesus back to make this place new. That we will not always cry out how long because there will be, a, it will be a day when all things are righted under his reign. And we long for that day, Lord. Until then, do you make us people that love like Jesus, that live like Jesus, that serve like Jesus, um, for the good of others and for your glory. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we talk about service and we think about what it's looking like to serve, uh, I'm just doubling down on Jesus, which is always a good idea right, in Christianity to double down on Christ. Um, but honestly, as I looked and as we walked through 2020, as we walked into 2021, as we're heading into a new year, uh, I just keep coming back and I, and I look and I'm grateful that we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount this year, but I look and I go, I don't know where else to point than to Jesus as the answer for all this, as the thing that's gonna motivate us. And so as we're gonna talk about service, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that it's not gonna be about a good sales pitch. It's not gonna be about clever marketing. It's not gonna be about coming up with a phrase that captures your attention in some new way that's gonna compel you to serve. But the thing that's going to cause us to be a people who serve faithfully week in and week out year after year, decade after decade for all the days that God gives us on this planet is gonna be a clear picture of Jesus and a love for Jesus and a motivation that's inspired by Jesus. That when we come to 
this text today, and that's the thing I, that, that jumps out at me that I want to point out. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to skip down just a little bit into chapter 8, and we're going to hit pause for a minute. This is when Jesus finished, sayings, finished these sayings. What are these sayings? It's the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, 7, the things we've been looking at, the, uh, the, the entire sermon Jesus just preached. This is when he finished saying these things. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, you notice what happens when Jesus finishes preaching the sermon? He went up on the mountain and he gathered his disciples up there and he preached the sermon. After the sermon is over, he says, he stepped down off the mountain and as soon as he stepped down off the mountain, what happens? A needy person shows up. You know, there's a saying we use sometimes that says, you know, life and ministry would be easy if it weren't for all the people. Any of you relate to that? Uh, yeah, the two pastors of the room were like, amen. Uh, but life and ministry would be easy if it weren't for all for all you guys, for all the people. Uh, having a family would be easy if it weren't for the people in your family, right? Being married would be easy if it weren't for the one you were married to, right? Um, all true. It would also be pointless and meaningless and without significance because people are the thing that, that life is ultimately about. It's the relationships that ultimately drive us. And do you notice what happens with Jesus here is immediately when he stops preaching, immediately it says, behold, someone needy shows up. Isn't that the way the world works? Chris and I were talking about this and, he's, and he just made a comment. He said, you know, I love the fact that when Jesus, it says when, when he came down off the mountain, immediately he started ministering. And there's something I think that's here for us to really wrestle with, that if we're gonna follow Jesus, we too must choose to come down off the mountaintop. We have to come down from the theoretical. We have to come down from the grand theology and we have to take all of that theology that we believe and we have to work it out into the fray of human life. That we take all the things that he's taught and all the things that we've learned and we've gotta step into a world full of hurry and worry and complexity and neediness. And we must become people who learn to live and love and serve like Jesus. That's what the teaching was intended to do. Jesus wasn't simply teaching people as a sage going, let me show you the wisdom I've got. He was doing that, but it went beyond that to also a place of divine authority. Where he's gonna say, and let me show you how this means you should live. It has implications for all of our lives. And we're to be a wholehearted, whole life people who are given over to him. In fact, this entire section of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is focused on discipleship. What does it mean for the followers of Jesus to learn how to actually follow Jesus? That's, that's really the focus of this. So here's what I wanted to do today. I wanna to do a 30,000 foot flyover to give you a really kind of big picture look at what Jesus is doing in this section. And what we're gonna see is that Jesus taught with authority. You notice what it says when he taught, it says he was teaching. It didn't just say what he taught, he taught with authority. It says as he was teaching them, everything he was teaching them, it says they were astonished that he was teaching with authority, not like their religious leaders. But it's not just his teaching that was authoritative. 
his, his living and his actions were authoritative too. And we're gonna see that worked out in Matthew chapter eight. And we're gonna see how this unfolds. So it's gonna actually go from a narrative section in Matthew four to this teaching section in Matthew five, six, seven. And then you're gonna go back to a narrative in chapter eight. And you're gonna go from his actions to his teaching to his actions. And all of it speaks to Jesus' authority. And so let's start with uh, Matthew chapter four. I'm gonna go back and you don't have to look there. I'm just gonna, again, I'm doing a flyover and we're gonna look at it a lot really quickly. So Jesus gets baptized. He begins his ministry. You see in 417, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. Jesus is announcing kind of this breaking into the world. He breaks into the humdrum lives of everyday people. And he says, God's doing something here. There's a kingdom worth giving yourself to. So stop what you're doing. Turn around, repent and trust this kingdom that I'm beginning to build. So he announces this. The very next thing he does in Matthew 4, 18, it says, while walking by the sea, he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and he calls them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then he goes to two other brothers and he says, follow me. And immediately these guys do what? They do the most logical thing. Give up their career, stop doing everything and just follow after this guy that has no home, no income and nothing else. Uh, there's something going on here that's supposed to get your attention. And so Jesus uh, begins his ministry, begins to follow them. And then you get down to verse 23 in chapter four, and it says, and he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all the land and great crowds followed him. Do you feel the anticipation of what's happening? Um, baptism, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Jesus goes to disciples, says, follow me. Jesus begins to perform miracles. And he says, repent, the kingdom is here. And because of this, he begins to preach the gospel, the good news of a kingdom that God loves you and is gonna do something to eradicate all the, the wrong stuff of this world. He's sending a Messiah, a savior, a rescuer, a king, a Lord to come and do something about the mess of this world. And so this is where it picks up and great crowds begin to follow him. And they're amazed and his fame begins to spread throughout the land. Then verse, chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So all this is happening, right? There's this, this, this excitement and this uproar that's happening and everyone's there and Jesus then withdraws and he goes up to the mountain and he begins to preach and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. And he begins to lay the groundwork for what it is to come in humility, not in your own strength, not in your own righteousness, not in your own goodness, not in your own service, not in your own religiosity, not in your own ability to navigate all of life with perfect wisdom, but blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who come empty handed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to lay this path of grace. He teaches five, six, seven. We spent 20 weeks looking through that teaching, right? So we're, we're not gonna go back through all of that here. But I think it's important for us to understand that this is the context in which the Sermon on the Mount takes place. And as he's gonna move forward, so four, all this stuff's happening. Five, six, seven, he teaches all this. As you get into eight, it's gonna go back in and it's gonna say the authority with which he taught is gonna be the authority with which he loves and lives and serves in action in the mess of, of this world. <clears throat> And the thing we're gonna see is this authority uh, of his teaching. In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually said that, um, that, the scribe, that your righteousness has to be greater than the scribes. 
Now that was a bold statement. What he's saying is the religious superstars of their era were inadequate for what he was calling them to do. So if you ever came to this thing thinking, man, if I just become a super spiritual person, if I just reach a whole nother level of spirituality, if I just do something even better, then I'm gonna arrive and I'm gonna be okay. Jesus says, no, unless you have greater righteousness than that, then the best of the best of the religious people, you're never going to, it's never going to be enough. And so he's making this bold claim saying, and really setting up this battle of authority. Because the scribes of that day, they were the ones, and, and so you and I don't know this about the scribes, but everyone in that culture would have known the scribes were the people that had been through all the rigorous training. They're the ones that had jumped through all the religious hoops. They're the ones that had done all the stuff so that they were exalted and lifted up and expect they were the ones who could rule about matters of the law. They could actually issue judgments on the people that were authoritative in that world. And Jesus is gonna say, unless you've got a greater authority than what they possess, it's not gonna be enough. And Jesus is claiming a, a, a greater authority. He's gonna say, you've heard it said, but I say, and he's claiming a greater authority than what they did. And so time and again, Jesus pushes past this veneer of religious and cultural assumptions about what it meant to be spiritual and about what it meant to be a worshiper of, of God. And then this, um, what we're gonna see is Jesus just comes with this kind of inherent authority about his person. There's this strength. There's a confidence, there's integrity, there's wholeness of word and life and wholehearted conviction about what is true and good. And you see that he has this divine authority or mandate or endorsement of his authority in the baptism. In his baptism, it says that a dove came down as the spirit rested on him and a voice came out of the heavens giving this a divine endorsement. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So he had this authority that came directly from heaven. And more on that authority in a minute, but here's what I want to to look at <clears throat> real quick. What's so amazing to me about Jesus is that he had this ultimate authority, but he used it in ultimate service of other people. And when we tend to think of authority, oftentimes we think of, we think of power. Uh, we think of, uh, we think uh, maybe of uh, control. We, we think of someone who can limit what you can do someone who can speak over your life. We may even think of something that's abusive or bullying in some ways. But when you see power, when you see authority in Jesus' life, it's always used to serve. It's always used as a benefit for the good of others. And so in Matthew 8, 2, look with me at what we see. This leper that comes to Jesus, kneels before him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What do we see that Jesus did? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Now, let me make a couple observations here. First, Jesus immediately puts, his, puts his, his own teaching into practice, right? Blessed are the merciful. Here, Jesus has mercy. Now, you may not realize this about, uh, about leprosy, but Jesus is reaching out to touch those who others were avoiding or ignoring. Jesus reached out to, at a risk to himself. 
And so he, re he reaches out and touches this leper uh, at a risk to his own life. Leprosy was considered to be contagious. And so lepers were excluded from normal life. Lepers were outsiders. Lepers were exiled. Lepers um, were, were considered to be unclean. And so ceremonially, ritually, uh, they were unclean and they were unable to engage in worship. They were unable to engage in the normal life of the community. They were on the outside. And so when this leper comes to Jesus and says, if you'll, if you'll heal me, I know you can, Jesus um, Jesus does something that's pretty powerful here. How many times do we see Jesus heal in the Gospels? You see it over and over, right? Do uh, you remember most of the time what Jesus does when he heals someone? What's he do? He simply speaks something over them. He speaks to have them healed. But here, do you see what Jesus does? It, it's really explicit in this passage. It says, Jesus reached out and Jesus touched the leper. The leper who had probably not been touched for a long period of time. The leper who had been stigmatized and outcast for a long period of time. Jesus could have spoken and said, okay, be healed. But Jesus didn't. Jesus, in an act of mercy, reached out and touched this person. And in doing that, he actually, it's an, it's an act of, um, of intentional sacrificial service. He's reaching out at, at, a, at a risk to himself there's something that he takes on and says, when he touches a leper, he actually becomes unclean and unable to go to worship and unable to participate in those other things, according to the law of the scribes. So Jesus has taken upon himself the uncleanness of this man so that this man might be healed and become clean and re-enter the normal life. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? That's what service looks like. And it's, a joy, it's Jesus' authority that's, that allows him to do that. But I love what this guy says. He says, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says what? I will. I want to. I'm willing to. I'm willing to reach across to serve you, to sacrifice, to intentionally invest in you something that costs me, some, costs me in a way. Because Jesus is sacrificing something. There's an investment in this individual that costs Jesus something. His sacrifice in his servants, pretty remarkable, isn't it? Let's look at one more case study here in this, in this section. Remember in Matthew 5, um, what Jesus said about uh, loving your neighbor? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you what? Love your enemies. Now, look with me in, here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. And the same thing we see, right? Jesus comes off the mountain, immediately there's a needy person there. Jesus walks into a new city, immediately there's a needy person there. Needs constantly present themselves in a broken world, don't they? We don't have to look for them. You walk down the streets of our city and there's needs all over the place. You walk into this room and there's needs all over this room. You look at the news and there's needs all over the world. There's needs in a fallen, broken world that present themselves to us all the time if we have eyes to see. Jesus walks into a new city. Behold, a centurion is there. And the centurion came forward appealing to Jesus. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed even though you're far away. For I too am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and one goes, and to another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, and they will recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In, the place, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Do you see what happens? Jesus walks into a new city. First, let me step back. What's a centurion? A centurion is a Roman soldier. Why were the Romans in this location? Because they had an empire. Because they had taken over. So this was a hostile takeover and an occupation. Um, we, if you've been watching the news this week, you understand what a hostile takeover and an occupation feels like, don't you? That's what this was. So this Roman centurion was the emblem of a hostile takeover and an occupation of their territory and where they lived. And Jesus is living in this place where this Roman centurion to the Jews represented an imposition of someone else's authority on their lives so that they could not live as they wanted to live. And that Roman centurion was there purposefully to keep them in check. And the centurion walks up to Jesus and he has this incredible faith. And he speaks to Jesus. And Jesus, in the eyes of the Jews, this man would have been an enemy. Don't you love that Jesus loves and serves all kinds of people? Even those who are considered enemies by others? Jesus let his service speak loudly of his heavenly Father's goodness. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But there's another amazing thing I want to point out. What's so amazing about this man's faith is he understands the divine authority that Jesus has. Uh, he says, Look, I'm a soldier. Like, I've got all this power, and a centurion was a, was a person of great influence who theoretically would oversee like a hundred other soldiers. And so he's got a hundred soldiers at his disposal, and he says, hey, go get me this. And the guy runs and goes and gets that. He says, hey, come bring me this. And another guy runs and brings it back. And he understands, hey, when I, when I issue an order, people snap to attention and they do whatever it is. Jesus, he says, you've got that same kind of authority. My, my, my servant's sick way back, but, but I know that you've got enough authority. If you just say the word, he'll be healed. And Jesus says, no, I'll go to him. He says, you don't have to do that. You're, you're sovereign over all this stuff. You speak the word and he'll be healed. That's amazing faith, isn't it? In fact, Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this in anyone. But there's something that I think it's easy for you and I to miss that shows up here in this passage. This is what he says, I tell you many will come from the east and the west. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about you and me. He's saying down in the future, as we roll throughout, uh, as history rolls forward, many people are gonna be gathered from all parts of the earth into uh, this, this kingdom that I'm building. And one day in eternity, we're gonna sit with, all the, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as they sit in the table, all these people are gonna be gathered and we're gonna sit together at a table in Jesus' kingdom, resting in peace. And this man will be one of them. And friends, this is what you and I are invited to. We're invited to come and be a people of Jesus' family that get to eat at his table forevermore. And the decision though, he says, but there's others who will be really near to see Jesus and they're gonna reject him and their consequences are gonna be great pain. So really Jesus separates us into two people and there's two groups that he gives us here. And really the question we have to ask is, is Jesus worth trusting and following? That's the question I want you to think about today. Is he worth trusting and following? Here's what's amazing. When you get down to um, chapter or to, to verse nine, you see the centurion. Jesus says, go and let it be done for you as you have believed. His belief is what made the difference. 
And when you skip down a little further, you're going to see that as you go through the rest of chapter 8, Jesus heals many. And then he talks about following Jesus. Then you get to verses 23 to 27, and he, he's going to calm the storm. And so a storm is raging, and he calms it. And um, they, people begin to marvel, and it says in verse 27, what sort of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. He, he shows his authority over the natural realm. In his healing of people, he showed his authority over the physical realm. In the next section, he shows his authority over the, the spiritual realm. There's uh, demons that come and they speak to Jesus and they cry out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? And he says, go, and they went. So the demonic realm obeyed Jesus and did whatever he said. So he's got, he's got authority over the religious leaders. He's got authority over the physical realm. He's got authority over, uh, over the natural realm. He's got authority over the, the spiritual realm here. Uh, Jesus is authoritative in every way. And as you walk through this, you see these passages that begin to pile up. Like in verse uh, chapter 9, 8, it says, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. 933, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything seen like this before. Do you see the, the, the amazement that they have at who Jesus is and what he's doing? This is what we're called to understand. And then you come down, and I want to show you one last very important place where this theme shows up again. If you look at the very end of the, Matthew's gospel, this is after Jesus has died upon a cross to, pay the, to atone for sins. And after Jesus had been resurrected and left an empty tomb to proclaim victory over sin and death, and Jesus is about to ascend and he's appeared before his disciples. And so all these things have happened and you get down to the very end of Matthew's gospel and he's gonna, he's gonna drop an exclamation point. He's gonna drop Mike on this topic, okay? Verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. What are, where was the sermon that we've just been looking at preached? It's the sermon on the, on the mount. They went up a mountain and he preached there. Where does he end things when he comes back after his death and resurrection? He calls, he calls them and he sends them back up a mountain. And there um, he directed them to go to that mountain. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, do you see what Jesus has done here? Um, he's come preaching with authority. He's come living and serving and loving people with authority as the divine one sent to rescue the world and show us how to live, but to also rescue us and empower us that we might live, live like him. Um, one day it says that though we've, we, 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 look a little bit like him now. One day he's going to make us all look completely like him. Uh, and so we'll be rid of all things. But until then, you notice what he does? Um, Jesus, when he ascends, didn't go, all right, all y'all come with me. He actually left us here, didn't he? He left us here and he left us here with a mission. He sends us out. But he doesn't send us out as those who are, who are cowering and fearful and afraid. He sends us out as those who, though humble, can act with boldness because he says, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given with me and behold, I am with you. Do you see the importance of that move? Jesus says, uh, go into the nations, baptizing them, 
teaching them, discipling them, helping them understand how to live the life that I've been telling you about. This is the mission I'm sending you on, but I'm not sending you by yourself. I am gonna go with you. And when I go with you, you need to understand that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so when you go, you go in my name. You, you go as though those who have been sent by me. You go as ambassadors. You go as those who, who picture me to the world, right? What was it he said in Matthew chapter five? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand? And it gives light to all in the house in the same way that you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Um, and it's a lot, right? It's a big picture. You see how that's unfolding? See the importance of it all? Uh, this is our mission. This is what we're to be about. Christ has come that he might institute a new kingdom. That he might create a people for himself. And in that people, he's he sent a spirit to empower us, but he's also, he's given us a mission. He's given us a, a call and he's told us what it is that we're to do. We're to, we're to practice good works so that people might glorify our father in heaven. We're to shine a bright light in a dark world. Friends, everywhere we go, we're gonna see needs. There's opportunities for us to serve every single day. Every single person we meet has needs that we can meet. So that's the call. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite um, some friends up here and as they come up, um, we're gonna shift gears a little bit. I've told you this is the call. Now we're gonna talk about, well, what's that look like um, for you and for me? Uh, what are we inviting you into as a church in, in terms of how it is that we can live this out, that we can practice this kind of service, how, how it is that we can do this as a people. Um, and so I'm gonna hand this off to Audra and some friends and they're gonna begin to tell you a little more about this. Let me get that. All right, thanks, Jeff. So something that um, I, I think is really important as we kind of think about what Jeff's been saying and we're transitioning to, to talking for a few minutes with some volunteers that have been volunteers at our church for a long time is there's like one real pivotal truth that I always want everybody to know before we talk about serving at our church. And that is that we don't just serve like to fill a slot. We don't just, just show up to help because like the, the pipe and drape needs to be done or because we need a teacher and the kids and, and we just need people, you know, warm bodies to do that. And I think that in, in the past, probably when I was younger, I really, I think I thought that. But I want you to know that as a church, like we believe that serving is actually part of our discipleship. That we actually grow in our own walk with the Lord and in our walk with um, each other as, as part of a body of faith through serving together. Like we actually believe that. And so we focus a lot of our time. Jeff's given us, you know, part of, of a Sunday morning sermon. Like we're focusing a whole Sunday morning on this because it's really important to us. And, and it's really part of the DNA and the fiber of our church and what we believe and who we are. So um, I've asked some volunteers here to come up and um, I'm gonna have them introduce themselves and tell me your name, how long you've been at Redemption and where you served. You can start, Jesse. I'm Jesse Swindell. I've been here about six years and served with the setup and teardown team, various roles with the host team, and the Serve Our City group through our partnership with Restore OKC. Okay. I'm uh, Nathan Aker. Uh, we've been here about six and a half years and serve on video worship team and with the kids. 
I'm Megan Farrell, and I also have been here for about six years, and I have served in kids and RSM. Okay, thanks. All right, so um, I'm going to ask Megan and Jesse if I can ask you to think back to that first tug you felt to serve. Um, what was it that really pushed you over the line and made you want to join a serve team? Okay, so uh, it was actually a serve link Sunday and there was a call for us to serve and I wasn't currently serving here and it was just really practical. I had kids so I figured I should be serving in kids, um, sitting in here for an hour quiet, not being disturbed by my kids, and, but knowing that they were in safe and loving environment, it just, it made sense that I should be able to repay that back to someone else. So for me, uh, I grew up in the church. I had serving modeled to me very well through various other folks, through my parents, through my brothers, with my brothers, and so it was something that I grew up with. Our church, uh, previous to this one, we felt that that was missing that opportunity a little bit. You really had to try to serve. And so coming into John Ross at that time, where Redemption was, uh, seeing this amazing setup and how the school was transformed every week and then turned back into a school was something I wanted to be a part of. All right, yeah. Okay, so... Um Second, I want to ask that all of you now have been serving for several years. You said, I think, are all around six years. Nathan and Megan, if you could go back and tell the pre-serve you before you'd ever served, if you could tell yourself something, what would it be? Like, what was a surprise or what was easier or harder or better um, than you thought it would be or what made it all worth it? What would you go tell yourself? Sure, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so... I would say like serving is a great way to connect and meet people. I, uh, myself, I, I'm not great at hallway conversations and, and small talk and kind of getting to know people I don't know, but serving is a great way to kind of plug in, work hand in hand in some, with someone and conversations come natural. And at least for me, like I build better relationships working side by side with someone than, you know, a, a quick conversation and then we go our separate ways. Yeah. So I would say that serving is easier than you think, but it's also harder than you think, and it's always better than you could imagine. Um, you know, getting to church early is hard, especially with little kids. You're fighting with them, yelling, hurry up and get in the car. We got to go be happy at church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most Sundays you go home exhausted, you know, but getting to know these kids, you know, from the oldest students sitting here down to the tiniest little baby right there. They're so just the relationships you get to develop with these kids and learn from them and talk about Jesus with them. It just far outweighs any momentary fatigue. And um, here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's just such a blessing. And, uh, you know, we're a family and this is our home. And I just feel that when you're in your home, like everybody does their part and everybody here has a place. And uh, I just really pray that you all find it. Yeah, something Megan told me um, before this is she said that as this is our house, she said, we're not a guest in this house. 
Like this, this is our house. And I, I really like that and appreciate that. Um, something that has really stood out to me, especially when we think about watching our, going from the little littles all the way up through um, RSM and then even beyond that is, it, I remember someone that I respect tying it back to when we dedicate our kiddos you know, our little, little kiddos and we dedicate them and say, hey, we're gonna walk alongside each other and we're gonna be part of this together. You know, like when we serve in kids or we serve in, in, on a host team or we serve, like we're part of that. You're part of that, you know, really fostering discipleship in these kiddos and, and helping to raise them in fear and admonition of the Lord and, and showing them what it means, right? So I appreciate that. So um, Nathan and Jesse, in what specific ways have you seen yourself or others grow because you've served? Um, myself, like if I look early on when we started serving with churches uh, previously, like I only wanted to kind of plug in with an area that I was comfortable with or I felt like I was gifted in um, and, you know, was kind of hesitant. And the more I've served, um, really just a willingness to plug in wherever and, and let God work and, and see what, what he does and, and see the joy of, of working in areas maybe where I, I wouldn't have picked or volunteered and, and just kind of being open to the spirit and, and what he wants to do. For me, it's the relationships. As uh, Megan and Nathan have both touched on, it's the, the friendships and connections that we make through serving that are some of my greatest friendships today. And I believe that if it wasn't for serving, that I would still be the guy on the back row that slipped in and slipped out and wouldn't have connected with anyone. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I wanna tell you, a lot of you that are sitting here, you, you are, have served or are serving at Redemption. And I wanna tell you like, my job here at the church is largely to work with volunteers. And y'all are so great to work with. And I'm, I'm constantly telling people because like, I think there's probably a kind of a, a stereotype that it's hard to get volunteers to do things, right? I'm like, I have great volunteers. Like y'all are constantly saying, I'll fill in there. How can I help? What can I do? And just generally have a really great attitude. So I wanna say a, a general thanks to you guys because you're, you're great at that and I appreciate it. If you haven't, um, we'd love to get you connected. So I'm gonna ask everyone, if you, as you came in, you saw in your seat, this little hanger right here, if you'll pick it up, if every one of you will pick that up with me. Um, and then on the back, this is a QR code. So you could, if you would take your uh, cell phone, turn on the camera on your phone and aim it at that little QR code, you'll be able to see all of the serve opportunities that we have here at Redemption. Okay, so. I'm gonna give you a couple seconds, pull that up. If you, if you uh, look at it with your phone, you're not signing your name in blood, okay? I'm just telling you that. <laughs> I just want you to know, I just want you to be able to see um, what our, our, our opportunities to serve are here at Redemption. So you'll be able to see a list there. Um, if you're an existing a volunteer, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and fill that out. We really like to ask you just to commit to a year. Right? We don't want you to think that we're asking you to sign on forever because we do believe in healthy rhythms of serving and, and rest, okay? So we're asking for the, this year commitment, kind of like a follows like the school year. So if you're an existing and you're willing to continue um, serving in your area, if you will go ahead and fill that, um, fill in wherever it, it is that you wanna continue serving in. If you'd like to sign up to serve somewhere new, feel free to do that. If you'd like some more information about it, there's a little spot at the very bottom that says, is there anything else you wanna tell us? You're welcome to fill something out there, okay? So, 
This is our little hanger, and you'll we'll uh, have Jeff tell us a little more about this in a second, what we're gonna do with this. But in order for us to um, get your information, if you're an existing or you wanna come on as a new um, volunteer, we really need you to fill that online form out for us, okay? You can also always talk to me. You can shoot me an email or a text. Um, I'd love to talk to you about where to serve and how to serve. And um, just know that serving here at Redemption, this is how we um, grow and this is how we give so that others may live, okay? Thank y'all for listening. And thank you all for sharing. I think it's really helpful and good to hear from uh, people that do serve and serve faithfully for a long time. Uh, I want to I transition into communion as we do. Here's one thing I want to say. Some of you, just from a lot of years of doing this, some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm not sure I've got anything to give. Or I'm not sure I'm good enough to serve. I'm not sure I've arrived at a level that, that is ready to, to serve in this way. One passage that I didn't look at, um, but that, that, that I would encourage you to go back and read in Matthew chapter eight, where he looked today, it talks about actually Matthew, the one who wrote this gospel. And Matthew was a tax collector. And there was a group that all the religious people looked at and they looked down upon in that day. And it was the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, it says at the end of that chapter where Jesus proclaims his authority, one of the last things he did to show how authoritative he was, he went to Matthew, a tax collector, a sinner, the lowest of the low in that world. He says, Matthew, follow me. And then he went into Matthew's home and it says that Jesus sat down and shared a meal reclining at the table with other tax collectors and sinners. So much so that the religious leaders looked in and they looked at him and they said, why is he hanging out with, with tax collectors and sinners and not hanging out with religious dudes like us. So can I just tell you if, if that's you today, that maybe you're Matthew, that maybe you think, man, I'm on the outside looking in on this thing. And maybe you're the Matthew Jesus is coming to today saying, hey, you follow me. I didn't come for those who have it all together. I came for the broken. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And so maybe Jesus is coming to you today saying, follow me. I want you to come serve me. I want you to learn what, what life is like with me. And that's what we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna do this together. And so uh, we're gonna kind of combine this commitment to serving with communion. And communion is an act that we proclaim God's good, Christ's goodness. We proclaim his death in the breaking of bread and the body that represents his body that was broken for us. And we drink from the cup and that represents his shed blood that was shed for the atonement of our sins. And in that, he gives us new life. And when we have and experience that new life, we're invited into uh, the kingdom life of service that he modeled so well.